listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. What am I? I have no natural predators. I eat nearly anything and everything, and I thrive in just about any environment. What am I? I have no natural predators. I can eat just about anything, and I thrive in almost any environment. And when I reach the old age of six months, I can begin to reproduce. Not just once, not just twice, but up to three times a year. I can have three litters a year with each litter averaging between six and eight offspring. Do the math. That's 18 to 24 replications in one year. And when I'm six months old, I can begin to do that. What am I? I'm a feral pig or a wild hog. That's what I am. Wild hogs weren't always wild. They were brought here in 1539 into what would one day become the United States of America. The pioneers brought them here from Europe and they began to raise them and they began to raise them in the wild, but they didn't realize that they would become a problem. Today, there are more than 5 million wild hogs in the United States, known to be in 39 states at least, and they're hunted by hunters. Now, I know a lot more about wild hogs today than I did a few weeks ago because last week I won a hunting expedition down in Texas. Three days and two nights, all expenses paid. I get to go down there and help them with the population problem that they're having in Texas with two million wild hogs just in the great nation of Texas alone. So I'm learning a thing or two about wild hogs, and now you've learned a thing or two about wild hogs. And what wild hogs teach us a thing or two about is about replication. Wild hogs know how to replicate. And in particular, wild hogs know how to replicate exponentially. Exponential replication. They know how to replicate in a very fast way. They get busy, and they know how to reproduce themselves. Now, you may not like pork. You may like pork. I don't know. Some of you, at the very mention of the word pork, want me to end in prayer so you can go get some pork, especially if it's pulled pork, okay? But you may or may not like pork, but you do need to understand a thing or two that wild hogs teach us as followers of Jesus Christ about replication, Replication. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, would you? In 1 Peter chapter 4, we read these amazing words of Scripture. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Interestingly enough here, that word that's translated into the English, self-controlled, is the same word that's used in Mark chapter 5, verse 15, and then also in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We'll get there in a moment, but it means to have a right mind or a sound mind, to be reasonable, to be sensible, to be serious, and to keep one's head. That's what it means. 
okay? Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, in Mark chapter 5, in verse 15, famous passage of Scripture, Jesus comes across a man who was demonized, had not just one or two or three or a dozen demons in him. He actually had enough that they spoke out of him and said, we are legion, for we are many. And the implication is that there were more than a thousand inside plaguing this man, the demonized man. And if you go back and read that story in Mark chapter 5, you realize that Jesus cast those demons out of the man into the pigs, and they went off the edge and drowned into the water. So it was a demonstration for a Gentile community about the spiritual reality and Jesus' ability, Jesus' power, Jesus' authority over the evil spirits. That's why it was no problem for a Jew to handle pigs in that way, because pigs were considered, unlike the way we Gentiles think about them today, or even back then, the way Gentiles thought of them, pigs were considered unclean. So what Jesus was doing was demonstrating the reality of the spiritual world to the Gentile community and his authority, his tremendous, overwhelming power and authority over evil spirits. Interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 5, verse 15, the word that is used there, that is translated, is the same word that we just read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. They came to Jesus, saw the demon possessed, that actually should be demon energized, would be a better way to think about it, a demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right Mind. That's the word that we just looked at in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, having a right mind. Now, when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the same word is used again, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That word that's translated as self-control. Again, the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, means right mind, reasonable, sensible, serious, and to keep one's head. Now, the interesting thing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. This was written about 2,000 years ago. And if you haven't checked, we are further along in the prophetic end times time clock than we were 2,000 years ago. So this is important for us as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, to take very seriously, very soberly, very intentionally, very purposefully, this idea of living in light of eternity. That's what a disciple does. A disciple lives in light of eternity with a sense of urgency. Haven't you noticed that it seems like in many places people don't have an eternal perspective? In many places, people do not have a sense of urgency. Even sad to say, in the body of Christ, there's not so much of a sense of urgency. I mean, here we are 2,000 years after the fact, and the writer of 1 Peter, Peter is urging us the end of all things is at hand. Right there, arm's length, tip of your, tip of your fingers, that's how close it was. If that was Peter's perspective to us 2,000 years ago, then certainly we should be living with a sense of urgency. Sense of urgency to do what? 
A sense of urgency to replicate. A sense of urgency to replicate. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in our Father's Word, we're going to examine just seven verses here. We've been talking in this Vision for Life series about God's vision and mission and the five core values for every life, every family, and every church. These are universal. You'd be wise to adopt them in your own life. God's vision, God's mission, the five core values that will change your life, change your family, change a church. We've talked about the value of simplicity streamlining our lives so that the main thing can be the main thing. And if you haven't noticed, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is not a thing, he's a person, his name is Jesus. Amen. So simplicity, we've talked about that value. We've talked about the value of the movement of the Spirit of God. That we don't want to just go through religious activity and religious observance, but in your individual life and in your family and in the church, we want our lives to be characterized by the genuine movement of the Holy Spirit. How many of us are interested in that? That's what I thought. Genuine movement of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about humility. Humility is important. The Bible makes very clear that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. How much grace would you like? in your individual life? How much grace would you like in your family? How much grace would you like in your church? I know about me and my individual life and my family and this church, I need a little bit more. Actually need a lot more. So we've talked about that imperative value, that essential value of humility. And we've talked about the value of relationships, not just having relationships, because we all have relationships, but the idea of having relationships that are characterized by love. So those four values that we've talked about so far, simplicity, the movement of the Spirit of God, humility, and loving relationships, and now we talk about replicating it all. You see, when we have God's vision, when we have God's mission, when we have the values that God wants us to value, and we prioritize our lives around all of those things, around the person of Jesus Christ, then it's time to do something with all of that. It's time to replicate. And that's the fifth value that we have here at the church. It's the fifth value that you should embrace in your own life. It's the fifth value that you should embrace in your own family, the idea of exponential replication. Until you are serious, listen to this, watch this, pay attention, don't miss it. Until you are serious about replicating yourself, you really don't understand what discipleship is all about. A disciple replicates. A follower of Jesus Christ has something worth replicating. And that's why we're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says this to a young man, younger, relatively speaking anyway, to Paul's age, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The word that's translated into men could be translated men or women. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What an amazing way to end that section. Think 
about everything that I'm sharing with you. Use your brain. Use your mind. Use what God has given you. Contemplate these things. Meditate on them. Chew on them. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You know, and that's the way you should be approaching your reading of the scriptures. When you read the Bible, it's got to be more than just a reading of the Bible. There's nothing magical about just reading the Bible, even though the word of God is powerful, of course. Yes, it is. I'm not saying that it's not powerful, but what I'm saying is if you just think that reading the Bible is going to change your life, you're missing a key component of what's taught throughout the scriptures, the idea of meditating on the scriptures, the idea of thinking about the scriptures, using your brain, engaging your mind when you're reading the scriptures and asking the Lord. Have you ever done this? If you haven't, it's a great thing for you to do when you begin to read the scriptures. When you open up the Bible, before you begin to read, before you begin to read, ask the Lord, Lord, give me insight into your timeless, matchless, one-of-a-kind, unique God-breathed word, whether you're reading something from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, divinely inspired, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. And all scripture will change your life. Great thing for you to do in your own life when you're reading the scriptures is before you begin to read, ask the Lord, Lord, give me insight into your word. And help me to remember the word that you're providing insight for. That'll take your Bible reading to that next level. Just get into the habit, not ritual, not ritual. See, a habit does not necessarily need to be a ritual. Get into the habit of really depending upon the God who wrote his word to illuminate the word that he gives you. Okay, And so Paul gives an illustration that we'll get to in, the, in, in a, just a moment here, but first let's go to verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The interesting thing here is that Paul was a single parent. Paul was a single parent, spiritually speaking. Now some have speculated, they look at Philippians chapter three, verse eight, where Paul says, I've suffered the loss of all things. Some have speculated that perhaps Paul lost his wife, that his wife might have left him when he became a Christian. And the theory or the idea goes like this, that Paul was in line to be the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Jew of Jews, humanly speaking, in Jerusalem. He was next in line to be the leader of the leaders in Judaism. And for him to convert to Christianity, that was no small thing. And so perhaps his wife left him as she would have been encouraged to do by the devout Jews at that time who weren't interested in Jesus. And some have postulated that perhaps that happened to Paul, that he had a family, at least a wife or he was going to be married and lost that opportunity to be married. And that's what's in part alluded to in Philippians chapter three, verse eight. So maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, but the idea that Paul presents in Philippians 3, eight is that he's lost all things. He has totally surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And that's what a disciple does. Totally surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. A disciple 
totally surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. Now, there is a very real sense in which when you accept Christ, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I didn't understand lordship the way I understand it today. And God willing, a year from now, I will not understand lordship the way I understand it today. And the same is true for you in your individual life and in your family and in a church. The lordship of Jesus Christ, surrender to Jesus Christ is something that we should continually be growing in. Your walk with the Lord today will not be your walk with the Lord if you're walking with the Lord today and you walk with him day by day, your walk with the Lord will not be a year from now what it is today. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord. Our lives become increasingly unrecognizable, and that's a good thing. You want your life to become increasingly unrecognizable that you begin to look more and more like Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. Paul was a single parent, spiritually speaking. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy was not his natural son, but he was his spiritual son. And he was somebody that Paul took under his wings, built into him, trained him, and replicated through him. By the time we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see Paul talking to the same Timothy and explaining to him the qualifications for elders and deacons that Paul had taught him, Paul had built into him, Paul had poured into him everything that he had. And by the time the apostle Paul was done with Timothy, he could release Timothy and Timothy could then do what Paul would have done if Paul was there in person. And he says, all the things that I've poured into you, all the ways that I have discipled you, all the ways that I've mentored you, now take those things in the undeserved favor of God and teach them to other people. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you too can be a parent, spiritually speaking, to somebody else. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will take at least one other person, at least one other person under your wings and build into them, disciple them, mentor them, train them, help them understand your mistakes that you made so that they don't repeat those mistakes. How many of us have mistakes that we can teach others about so that other people can see all the hands go up. Of course, you've got something to teach somebody. Do you realize that? You've got many things to teach somebody. No, your mistakes are not things that you hide. Oh, how we've been neutered, if I can use that word. How we've been neutralized and thinking that our mistakes are things that we should be embarrassed about. Listen, don't let your mistakes Stop with embarrassment. Because if you just let yourself be embarrassed about your mistakes, you're not going to prevent someone else from being embarrassed when they repeat your mistakes. Share with other people the things that you've learned the hard way. Don't be afraid to share the mistakes that you've made because when you teach others the mistakes that you've made in your finances... You prevent them from repeating those financial mistakes. 
When you teach somebody the mistakes that you learned in terms of sexual morality, you're teaching somebody how to avoid the sexual immorality that you may have engaged in. When you teach somebody about the mistakes you made with drug use, whether it's hard drugs or prescription drugs, drugs that were used inappropriately, what are you doing? You're helping someone else, at least one other person, not follow in your footsteps. When you teach somebody else about what you now are learning more and more as we're meeting together and we're in the word of God, how you wish you would have spent more time in the Bible, how you wish you would have spent more time in prayer, and how you know that very clearly because now that you're spending more time in the Bible and now that you're spending more time in prayer and now that you're seeing how God is revolutionizing your life by being in the Bible and by praying and having a consistent diet of the word of God and meditating on the word and meeting with God, you're beginning to see how your life is changing. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. You're seeing that God's word does not return to him void. And when that happens, when you begin to see how God is changing you with his word and time with him, you want to shout it from the mountaintops. You want to tell everybody, listen, God is changing me. I wish I would have read the Bible more. Read the Bible more. I wish I would have prayed more. Pray more. I wish I would have walked with God at an earlier age. Will you walk with God at an earlier age than when I began to walk with God? See, by sharing with somebody, by taking somebody underneath your wings, spiritually speaking, you're pouring into them and you're sparing them the things that you might have learned the hard way. Every single one of us should be a spiritual parent to somebody. There is somebody out there in your workplace, somebody out there in your neighborhood, somebody out there where you're sitting right now who would love to have somebody pour into them, build into them, have a spiritual parent. Stop taking yourself out of the equation. It is all about replication. And replication happens when you're intentional. Replication happens when I'm intentional. Replication happens when we say, I am going to take Paul's example as my example. And I want it to be said of me what can be said of Paul. He had a child, spiritually speaking, named Timothy. And when Paul was done pouring into Timothy, Timothy could do what Paul could do. See, until you teach other people what you can do, you're not serious about being a disciple. Until you teach and train other people what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Listen to this, listen to this, don't miss it. Until you are serious about being a spiritual parent to somebody, you don't really understand what discipleship is all about. See, what happens oftentimes with discipleship, I know I've been around long enough. I'm a pastor. And before I was a pastor, I was in churches as well. Oftentimes what happens is we're willing to pour into somebody, to build into somebody, and then what happens is that person or those people begin to excel. They begin to follow what we've poured into them. They begin to bear fruit. And then what happens is in our own selves, the flesh begins to creep up and we begin to get jealous. Because now 
people are recognizing the spirit of Jesus working through those people that you poured into. And so what do we do? We take our foot off the gas. We allow ourselves to become fleshly. We get jealous and we stop doing the very thing that we were doing that caused Jesus to get glory and honor and credit. That's when the discipleship stops. The idea of being a disciple, the idea of replicating is that you so pour into somebody else's life that they begin to become, they they become better than you. They succeed earlier than you succeeded in their walk with Jesus Christ. And you have to do what I have to do. You have to thank Almighty God. And you have to recognize that jealousy monster. You have to recognize the flesh. See, I see the heads nodding. Not much of a difference between me and you. There's no difference at all. I just happen to be up front telling it like it is. It's a great thing when someone begins to do better things than you. It's a great thing when other people don't make the mistakes that you made because you told them to avoid those mistakes. It's a great thing when other people excel beyond your capabilities because the bottom line is, the truth is, you wish you had somebody earlier in your life to fan into flame the gifts of God that were given to you, don't you? You wish you had somebody who was selfless in your life, who believed in you, who got behind you, who would pat you on the back and say, that a boy, that a girl, way to go. That's what a disciple maker does for somebody else. You pour into somebody else, and when somebody else wins for Jesus, and when somebody else has success for Jesus, you don't get jealous. You become joyous. Because that's the mark of a disciple maker. A disciple maker teaches other people how to excel, how to avoid mistakes, how to win for Jesus Christ as a direct result of your deliberate, intentional pouring into their life. That's what a disciple maker does and that's what exponential disciple making is all about. You begin to pour into somebody. That person begins to pour into somebody else and before you know it, One person becomes two. Two people become four. Four people become eight. Eight becomes 16. 16 becomes 32. 32 becomes 64. And it's not even a matter of doubling. It goes beyond that. You know, we've got enough people in this church right now with the free chairs that were given to us that are going up. God is up to something. We've got enough people in this church. If we live simple lives led by the movement of the Holy Spirit and we walk in humility and we prioritize loving relationships, we've got enough people in this church right now that by next year, this time, we could double. We could double. We could more than double in a 12-month period of time. All it takes is for you and for me to take on one project. And I'm not talking about swinging a hammer or a paintbrush. I'm talking about the project of one person. If you replicate yourself 
over the next 12 months, and every single one of us does that, this church will double. That's not rocket science. That's simple math. So you've got to live a simple life where your priorities are in order. You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's got to be not just important, it's got to be imperative in your own life and in your family and in the church. You've got to be a person who walks in humility because you've got to, as I've just spent just a fraction of time right now talking about, you've got to continually put aside your own selfish desires, your own jealousies and rivalries. Sometimes haven't you realized that you're your own worst enemy? At times I'm my own worst enemy. I don't need the devil to mess up my life. I don't need other people to mess up my life. I do a great job with me, myself, and I. The attitude of a disciple is clearly marked out here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look with me. See, Paul was a single parent, spiritually speaking, and you can be too. You can be somebody who takes somebody under your wing. Go out and find them. Go out and replicate. Go out and share your story with somebody, warts and all. In fact, that's what people need to hear. They need to hear your life before Christ. They need to hear your life after Christ, that you're not perfect, but you are being perfected. Because when you share the reality of who you were and the reality of who you are, not the church-faced person, you know what happens? People say, well, maybe there's hope for me. And there is hope, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus can do for them what Jesus has done for you, and for me, and for your family, and this thing called the church. You think I'm kidding when I say this church could double over the next 12 months? I'm not kidding, and you know I'm not. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, faithful women who will be able to teach others also. See, this idea in real estate, this idea in real estate is, if you know anything about real estate, maybe you're a realtor or you bought a house and your realtor told you this. It's all about location, location, location. Could have the most beautiful house on the planet. But if that beautiful house is in a wrong location, you're not only gonna not want to live there, but when it comes time where you might wanna sell that house, somebody else doesn't wanna live there either. Because it's all about location, location, location. And some of you are smiling because you bought a house that might not be in the best location. Or some of you are smiling because your house is in a great location. Real estate is all about location, location, Location and discipleship is all about replication, replication, replication. That's what it's about. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what is he saying to Timothy here? What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, the idea of consistency, the idea of Paul's life not being a private endeavor, but a very public thing, entrust to not just anybody, not pearls before swine, 
but entrust to faithful people, faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Paul was being very deliberate, very strategic, very intentional as a disciple maker. See, we often think of Paul as the apostle Paul, and he was an apostle, planting churches, laying a foundation, writing scripture. But the thing that we don't fully understand about the apostle Paul is that he was disciple maker Paul. He knew that healthy things grew. He knew that healthy things replicated. And you and me, with all of our messed up selves, all the messed up parts of us, in spite of that, you've got a good thing inside of you. It's not a thing, he's a person. The Holy Spirit, if you've accepted Christ, you do have something to tell other people. You do have good news to share with other people. You do have a transformed life that's being changed continually, going from glory to glory, being made new every morning. You've got great news to share with somebody. There's somebody out there for you to be intentional with. Now, you can call them up on the phone. Listen, it's this simple. Speaking of the value of simplicity, it's this way that you are led by the movement of the Spirit of God. It is this way that humility is manifest. You text somebody with that smartphone. You use it smartly. And you ask them if they'd be willing to get together with you for coffee or breakfast or lunch or dinner. You call them up on the phone, you email them. Imagine that using the technology that we have today where we have the ability to be more connected than at any other time in history, and yet we're so disconnected. It's that simple. It's that spirit-led. It's that humble because you've got to make a choice to say no to something else that you would do at that time. It's that relational, that you use that smart device, you use that computer, and you reach out to somebody and you say, you know what? I just want to be honest with you. I don't have a whole lot to offer, but everything I do have, I'm going to offer it to you. I would love it if you would be interested in getting together with me where I could intentionally just try to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. I tell you, if you took the next 12 months to make that happen, we'd be double in size next year. It's not about size, but it is about replication. It's all about replication. And a disciple maker is somebody who is intentional about making disciples. A disciple maker is intentional about replication. It's replication, replication, replication. Paul understood that. We understand that as we look at the word of God. Faithful people. Who is a potential good investment in your life? Pray about it. Ask the Lord, Lord, who have you put across my path? Who have you put around me whose path I need to cross? Ask the Lord all this week. Ask him all this month. Spend a few weeks and say, Lord, who is a faithful man that men you can go after? See, you should, as a man, go after a man. As a woman, go after a woman so that there's no confusion over your intentions and so that you walk in integrity, that a man disciples another man. A woman disciples another woman. You seek the face of God. Since this is the heart of God, discipleship and replication, you have God's ear when you pray that prayer. You have God's heart 
You have God's mind when you're walking in humility, when you're prioritizing relationships, when you're saying, God, lead me by your Holy Spirit, when you're simplifying your life and making sure that it revolves around the person of Jesus Christ and the priorities of Jesus Christ, God hears your prayer and God will answer that prayer. Ask him, Lord, who's that person that I can invest in? Who's the person that would be characterized by faithfulness? A faithful, reliable person who will then replicate as well. See, there is a sense in which when you disciple somebody the right way, when you mentor somebody the right way, when you fan somebody's flame the right way, you continually remind them, life is short. The end of all things is near. Stop thinking around. Stop playing second fiddle. Stop dabbling in the things that you might be good at, but you might not be great at them. Get into that sweet spot. Settle into that saddle. Settle in, pull on those reins, give that horse a kick, and get going for Jesus Christ. The end of all things is near. We spent enough time, haven't we? I know that I have. Dabbling in second best, dabbling in good things, but not great things. You've got something that God has given to you, spiritual gift or gifts. You've got a calling from God. You've got talent and ability that God has given you, whether it's spiritual or whether it's natural. And God has given that to you not to hoard. A spiritual gift or a natural gift is not given to hoard. It's given to give away, to use it, to make someone else into a disciple with great intentionality. Yes, you can be a spiritual parent to somebody, at least one person. Yes, you can replicate because disciple-making is all about replication, replication, replication. And look what else Paul says here. He gives an analogy. Let's talk for a moment about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Look what he says. Verse three, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We don't have time in our limited time remaining to talk about the centrality of suffering when it comes to being a disciple. They persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. Get over it. When you become a soldier and you enlist in the military, you know that it's not an easy ride. You'll go through a boot camp and then you might actually see combat. Well, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a matter of if you'll see combat, but of when and how you will see combat because we are fighting a spiritual battle with real foes, the devil and all of his henchmen and the flesh that we wake up with every single morning. And in this world, in the world system that's trying to press us into its mold, Look what he says in verse four. No soldier gets entangled, entrapped, overwhelmed, encumbered in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When you become a soldier and you get into the military, the idea is that now you're trying to please your commanding officer. That's humility. You're no longer living for yourself. You're living for the unit and you're living for your commanding officer. And in our case, the unit is the body of Christ. We're living for each other now. We're living for other people. Jesus modeled it. He lived for you and he lived for his father. We're living for each other and we're living to please our commanding officer. 
the father of lights, as James so aptly says. We're living to please our heavenly father. And the contrast that Paul is giving here should be absolutely clear. Soldier versus civilian. Soldier versus civilian. The soldier lives for his unit, lives for his commanding officer, realizes that he or she is part of a larger group. An individualistic civilian mentality will mean disaster for a military unit. And that's often what spells disaster in the body of Christ. When people have me, myself, and I in mind, instead of the living and true God and other people. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned the reward unless he competes according to the rules. Now, our rules, using the athletic analogy, are found in the scriptures. Not in a legalistic sense, because there are many churches that you could go to that are Pharisaic nonetheless. But this book is such a book, the Bible, that man couldn't write if he would and wouldn't write if he could. It is a book unique among books, a collection of books. And when we live life by the book, we can expect to be rewarded. It is the undeserved favor of God that he has told us ahead of time that he will reward us for faithfulness. If we were to take some time today and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11 through 15, the judgment seat of Christ is presented there, a judgment of rewards, not salvation. Your salvation as a follower of Christ, your salvation as a follower of Christ is not in constant flux, saved, lost, repent, saved again, and then lost and back and forth. You like this motion, the way I'm going back and forth here? Now, don't confuse 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 and on with the idea of losing your salvation because he actually says at the end of that section, he himself will be saved, but he will suffer loss. The idea is somebody who loses that soldier mentality. The idea is somebody who loses the athlete's mentality, that an athlete competes according to the rules or he or she is disqualified. Disqualified from what? From getting the prize. And that's why Paul is saying, remember the athlete. Remember that there are rules in athletic competition. And those who compete according to the rules qualify to receive the crown. It's that simple what he's presenting here. And then he talks about this, verse 6. It is the lazy farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Is that what he says? It's the lazy farmer? No. There's something about being a hard worker when it comes to God's harvest that God likes. God likes it when you work hard for the kingdom of God, when you work sacrificially for the kingdom of God, when we work hard for the kingdom of God, when we live simple lives, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, when we walk in humility and we prioritize loving relationships, when you invest yourself in those things around the vision and the mission of God, that's called Hard work. Doesn't come easy, but it produces an awesome crop. 
Look what he says. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You reap what you sow. Ask any farmer about reaping and sowing. And any farmer who's a hard worker, in fact, any farmer who's a lazy farmer will tell you the same thing. But if you have a lazy farmer who continues farming, then you don't just have a lazy farmer, you also have a farmer who's not too smart either. Because you're not going to continue to farm if you're lazy. You won't have a farm much longer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's all about replication. A disciple is a disciple maker. Disciple maker is intentional. You've got to be intentional with your life. You've got to be intentional with your family. Or your life will slip away. Life is too short to do anything less than your passion. Disciple maker is so passionate about Jesus Christ, this is what needs to happen in your life more and more. A disciple maker is so passionate about Jesus Christ that he or she cannot help but reproduce. You put a couple of feral hogs together, they're going to reproduce. Couple of wild pigs together, they're going to reproduce not just once, but multiple times over the course of their lifetime. And that's what a follower of Jesus Christ does too. So you didn't think it was possible, but it happened, didn't it? We learned a whole lot about exponential replication from a bunch of wild hogs today. A follower of Jesus Christ follows Jesus so closely with his vision and his mission, lives a simple life, walks in humility, follows the leading of the Holy Spirit, prioritizes loving relationships that he or she or your family or that church cannot help but replicate. When you follow Jesus Christ, when you walk with him, when you enjoy him, when you adore him, when you read the word and you put the word of God into action, you cannot help but reproduce. Don't let yourself take yourself out of the equation. The truth is God called you to reproduce. And it's time that we start reproducing in our individual lives, in our families, and as a church. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit couragematters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.